Hey, what is going on? It is Crypto Bobby. Hope you are having a great day, great night, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Bobby podcast. And today, I had a chance to hop onto YouTube Live to Twitch and answer some questions and, and really talk about the Federal Reserve cutting rates for the first time since 2008, before Bitcoin was even a twinkle in Craig Wright's eye. Uh, just kidding, not really Craig Wright. But before Bitcoin was even a twinkle in Satoshi's eye, or Satoshi's vision, uh, the Fed has cut rates. And a lot of people think that that is a very bullish macro thing for Bitcoin. So we'll talk about that. Also get into the Litecoin having a bit, as well as just my thoughts on inflation in general. I've talked about it before, but I think it really is, is worth repeating. A lot of questions, a lot of people talking about um, things like XRP in the, in the comments in the chats and and talking about uh, XRP and also some other assets like uh, Horizon and kind of the 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 concept of of real uh, real staking rewards or or kind of real rewards in comparison to staking rewards versus interest and and how much money you actually might be making as an individual. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about my friends over at Roan. If you haven't heard about Roan yet. You are absolutely missing out. Roan is a men's performance lifestyle and premium activewear brand that is engineered for unparalleled quality and comfort. They're an absolute necessity right now for guys in the go. If you are training in the gym, jumping on an international flight doesn't necessarily matter. It is the go-to men's clothing brand. My favorite right now, it's the workout shorts and shirt. I basically, since I run my own company now and work from home, I pretty much wear them on a 24-7 basis. But now Roan has just released their new amazing commuter collection, which is perfect for looking great and staying comfortable in the office, in the heat. The new commuter collection is fantastic with pants, polos, shirts, shorts, whatever it is, all lightweight, comfortable, wrinkle-free. And if you go to roan.com slash Bobby today and use promo code Bobby, it's B-O-B-B-Y, to get 20% off your first purchase, that is R-H-O-N-E.com slash B-O-B-B-Y, Promo code B-O-B-B-Y for 20% off roan.com slash Bobby. Promo code Bobby. Let's hop into it. So as people are joining in, we can definitely touch a little bit on this. So um, Tom Lee did somewhat of a, an interesting job explaining this. And this was a video from this was a video from Fox Business. And Tom Lee has uh, traditionally does a lot of commentary on the crypto world. And they kind of brought him on. He also has some some additional kind of macro thoughts as well but tom lee was talking about how the federal reserve rate cuts affect bitcoin and you've seen this too if you follow pomp on twitter and a lot of other people as well um, many people are attributing the federal reserve rate cut to a very very bullish sign for bitcoin the, the rate cut is down there is going to be additional basically money flowing people are saying it's going to encourage additional money printing and as that kind of fever builds up, as we you know, go into this really fevered pace, we're in a very different place than we were in 2008 to what we are now. Um, and the, you know, the mechanisms around this rate cut seem a little bit suspect to a lot of people. And looking at the reliability of Bitcoin's supply schedule or inflation schedule or whatever you want to call it, um, a lot of people are, are pointing to this in particular as a highly bullish macro trend uh, for Bitcoin in general. Remains to be seen what will happen in the long run. I don't think anybody can necessarily pr predict the future. Uh, but my personal opinion, I do think this is a really positive sign um, for for Bitcoin um, in particular. Obviously, none of the altcoins necessarily 
fully affected by that. The, the, the use case is a lot different for Bitcoin. If you're looking at that store of gold, digital, you know, digital gold or store value, digital gold 2.0 type of approach. So we'd love to hear your thoughts in that as well. Bitcoin ran a good amount prior to the announcement, but, uh, oh, I was just very confused. Uh, apologies. So if you didn't know, TradingView recently launched, uh, one second charts. I didn't realize it was in the one minute chart, but TradingView launched one second charts for you degenerates out there that are really interested in, um, that, that threw me off so badly. I apologize. The, the one minute chart is, or the one hour chart used to be right here. So if you noticed, I clicked on the one minute chart because that's where the one hour chart used to be. I was like, wait, that's weird. These, these numbers aren't correct. That's because TradingView today added or recently added a one second, a five second, a 15 second, and a 30 second time interval on the charts for you absolute degenerates that need to be charting on the one second ticker. Um, that's <laughs> the most idiotic thing on the planet. And you are a total and complete degenerate gambler if you do. Uh, but I kind of respect that. So that's <laughs> that just threw me off real hard, though, when I was looking at that chart, thinking it was a one-hour chart and it was a one-minute chart. Um, but yeah, you can see some just overall... The, the market did the market was already reacting pretty positively or bitcoin's market was reacting pretty positively but did move pretty heavily kind of going into the uh the news around the rate cut so again i think macro wise pretty bullish for bitcoin will we see a continued run up who knows with that but i think you are starting to see a lot of trends in the right direction for maybe not some some great things to happen in the overall economy but for bitcoin in particular um that might be the opposite. So, so, oh, geez, XRP rip. Uh, so some, some thoughts around XRP and I could provide them to you as well. That was asked, well, look at the XRP and the dollar and look at the daily and just zoom out. I mean, I've been pretty, as you guys know, and I've talked about it a bunch of different times, I've been bearish on XRP for a while. And a lot of that is, is due to, I mean, a lot of that to me is, is simply due to the, uh, kind of approach that, that XRP has. And I talked about this previously as well Let's pull up on chain FX. So the big thing I think in my mind, when you're looking at, and I've learned this lesson the hard way I've bought masternodes i bought shit coins i bought inflationary shit coins i bought non-inflationary shit coins inflation is one of those things that is not that everybody likes to talk about the fundamental indicators or whatever it might be everybody likes to talk about that type of stuff when it comes to cryptocurrency how many transactions per second is something doing how much you know what is it is it a privacy coin is it this is it that one of the most important things in the cryptocurrency world right now in my personal opinion when it does come down to price is the inflation. Are you going to just get diluted to all hell? And are there enough buyers in the market that actually are demanding uh, that crypto asset for the rate of inflation that it has? So if we look at something like, we'll do the current inflation on a lot of these assets, we'll look at the reported market cap here. According to Masari, you have 25% inflation for XRP. Uh, XRP and... Excuse me. I've talked about this before, but basically the only two assets in the top 10 of this year 
that are down are XRP and Stellar Lumens, both fairly similar in terms of tech, uh, but XRP and Stellar Lumens, and they both have the highest inflation rate out of any of those crypto assets. You have a 25% inflation rate on XRP. You have a 39% inflation rate on Stellar Lumens, and XRP is down close to 10% of the year. Stellar Lumens is down 25%. It's not a direct correlation. It definitely is not, but if you don't think that there is some element of, of correlation there, I think you're a little bit crazy. And again, like I said, I've, I feel like I've learned this the hard way, unfortunately, with certain Zcash is another one. Zcash is highly inflationary and you get diluted and the market has just tanked and tanked and tanked with Zcash. There have been other ones as well um, that I've learned from. Shout out Gincoin. Gincoin is RIP in peace. That's a nice tax write-off for your boy. So... A lot out there like that. Uh, Ricky Thompson says they are killing the people who hold it by dumping on them. So that's that's something that I think is is interesting because to their credit, they do provide transparency uh, to that. Doesn't necessarily make it right though, but they do. Uh, Ripple does provide transparency for what they do, and with that transparency, you can see they released this literally exactly a week ago. So on July twenty fourth. They release every quarter, they release uh, their Q, uh, quarterly, uh, or they release a kind of a follow-up to their past quarter. So Q2 was obviously last quarter. They released that on July 24th. And they sold a lot of, of XRP. And they sell that primarily in two ways. You have institutional sales and programmatic sales. Uh, but programmatic sales is mostly on exchange sales. And then institutional direct sales is selling that directly to institutions. But I don't necessarily know. And there's not a ton of transparency into what happens after they sell it to those institutions or those you know, crypto funds that are market makers or something like that. Um, there, there's a lot of, I think, unknowns around this in particular. But if you look at it, at its core, you have Ripple generating the vast amount of its, its revenue as a company by selling the XRP that they have on their balance sheet. And unless there is, at the very least, $250 million in demand out there to buy that XRP, you're going to see a decrease uh, of some nature in the price. And I do think that that is um, something that I think is underrated by some people. And for me, at least, I, and, and places like OnChainFX, you know, they consider that type of, of sell pressure as as inflation or an inflationary mechanism. And I do think that if you are a quote unquote investor in a lot of these assets, that is something that you need to take into consideration on a consistent basis. And you might not be able to see this too, too much. So I'll try and pull this up right now. Um, let me see staking yield actually. So this is something that I think is important. So you have staking yield and then you have real staking yield. So let's pull up staking yield and you can see some of these assets. Um, you can see some of these assets that have a, a nice staking yield and we can even do, let's, well, let's do small caps as well. So a lot of people will point to, to staking a crypto asset. And one thing that you always want to be aware of, at least in my personal opinion, especially for these, uh, proof of stake type of cryptocurrencies is yes, the staking yield is, uh, might be whatever it is, 15, 20%. Wow. That's awesome. I'm getting 15, 20% more, more coins on a daily ba or on an annual basis. That's awesome. Right. That's great. But what's the inflation. 
that's an important thing that you need to keep in mind because when if you don't keep in mind that inflation uh that inflation then you let's pull this over if you don't keep in mind the inflation you're going to be in trouble so let's look at these kind of three statistics from on-chain fx and this is something that again if you have a proof of stake coin or if you've ever considered buying a proof of stake coin you need to bring this into your kind of thought process as well so there's three things you have current inflation you have the staking yield and then you have the real staking yield so for example zen horizon um there is a 26 percent annual staking yield that sounds awesome right you make 26 percent a year that's pretty sweet well there's actually 37% inflation on an annual basis. So by staking, you're actually losing 9% a year. If the price stays completely flat, you're losing 9% a year. That sucks. Again, you have Zcoin, something like Zcoin XZC. You get 18% rewards by staking on an annual basis. But what's the inflation? The inflation is 33% a year. So you actually lose 12% of year, 12% a year, even if you're staking. And if you're not staking, you're losing 33% a year if the price stays equal, or you're at least getting diluted quite a bit. So I think those types of things go relatively unspoken about, or or people don't focus on them too much. And granted, if you're in the heart of a bull run, if things are going crazy, things are going great, and you have a ton of new buyers in the market, and you have all this money rushing into a liquid shit coins, then yeah, a 20% inflation might not mean all that much. However, we're not really in that place of the market right now. There aren't, in, at least in my knowledge, in my opinion, you don't have this massive new wave of buyers coming in that are just completely throwing money in with disregard for all human life. You have the same people that have been in the market for quite some time. You have kind of, you know, the last dedicated survivors that are here and there's there's not enough fresh money into these e-liquid shit coins that um, can can account for the inflation. Uh, Ricky Thompson, sound like you learned the hard way, which we all do. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's that's definitely part of it. Like, I've definitely learned, you know, that's you you definitely learn things the hard way, and you try to admit those mistakes to yourself and. Uh, tried to not repeat them as much as possible. Uh, the tough part about the tough part about crypto, it's like you make one mistake one month and then you six months later, you're making another mistake. And maybe it's not the same thing, but um, I, I just try to, you know, I, again, I've never been an expert. I've never been a, uh, a genius when it comes to this stuff. I've made some good moves. I've made some bad moves. I've made some great moves. I made some really shitty moves. Um, there's, there's definitely been um, for every, let's say like, 50x I might have hit in <laughs> in 2017. Uh, I've had the down 95 percenters too. So you try to learn from both sides of the house. Unfortunately, the market as a whole has, hasn't produced that many 50xers like 2017. Will we ever get back to that? I I have my doubts, but I think you know there'll still be some positive, just kind of long term effects. We'll see what happens. Thanks, Gordy. I appreciate that, brother. And guys, shoot your questions away as much as possible, too. I mean, I'm happy to... Um, definitely happy to answer as, as many questions as we have here. And so another thing, too, you know, in addition to the inflation, and this is this is part of the inflation as I'm looking for some of these... Uh, as I'm looking for some of these questions. Um, 
So Gordy Boy says, apart from Bitcoin and Tezos, what what coin are you liking? I mean, my biggest bags right now are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and Leo. Uh, Leo hasn't performed that well recently. Still bullish on it is what it is. Um, Tezos had a nice pop. So that was great to see with Tezos getting added to Coinbase. Uh, Ethereum has not kept up with Bitcoin, which has been relatively unfortunate. Basically, Bitcoin's been kicking mostly everything's ass. And I would have been much better off six months ago, putting all of my money in Bitcoin, getting rid of all the all the altcoins I have, and going on my merry way. Unfortunately, I didn't do that. In hindsight, it's 2020. So I I personally, at this point in time, and this is this this could definitely be me just being stubborn and being a dummy. But I kind of feel like the second I sell altcoins and go into Bitcoin, that's when the altcoins will rally. So I kind of refuse to do it. Um, and I just hold on to my my ETH and my Tezos and my Leo bags. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where, you know, that's basically where my head's been at. Um, I, I just feel like I'm I'm anytime I am I'm of the opinion where it's like, okay, now's the time for me to do this. Usually that's the exact opposite. So I try to do the opposite of what my heart wants to do. And right now my heart's like, get rid of all your altcoins, go into Bitcoin. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to stay true to my guns, stay true to my shit coins. If you guys happen to know, speaking of Buffalo Chicken restaurants, we're going to transition into what I actually do. Uh, if you guys happen to know any engineers in the uh, any engineers don't necessarily have to work in crypto, but that are interested in working full time in the industry, um, have roles in New York City, New York City, Boston and again, New York City um, for full stack engineers, back end engineers, front end engineers. Um, so for a lot of you guys that have been curious about what I've been doing, Proof of Talent is a technical recruiting firm. I have engineering opportunities. If you know of engineers that are interested and you refer them my way, pay a $1,000 referral bonus for that. So uh, if they do get placed, but that's uh, just a, a quick little aside on the you know, old Buffalo chicken wrap. <laughs> uh, Kevin Gaspar says, will you be staking ETH? Well, if and if and when we ever get to ETH 2.0, yes, I... I purposely have uh, quite quite enough to be. I think the minimum is at 32 or 36, 32, 34, 36. It's in the 30s with an even number, I think. Uh, maybe 32 is like the minimum you need to stake ETH. Um, so for those out there, I mean, there were times where you could have bought that that 32 ETH for like less than like less than 4,000 bucks, uh, which is pretty damn awesome. But yeah, definitely have uh, definitely have enough to 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 be staking, and that's kind of the the goal is to. To hold on to that i there's there's a lot of thank you kevin 32 um there's a lot of commentary right now and i'm kind of a, just personally a little like tired of of some of it around uh the the bitcoin versus kind of ethereum stuff and there if you're on twitter some of you i'm sure are some of you aren't but there is just like this back and forth hatred between bitcoiners and ethereum folks and some of it's funny like some some people the thing I like most about people on Twitter is those who are self-aware. Like you can be, you can be the biggest Bitcoin maximalist, shitcoin maximalist, whatever it is. But as long as you're like self-aware and funny and like understand kind of where you're at, um, and just have the self-awareness to admit like what you are. Um, I think that's awesome, but there's a lot of people with zero self-awareness that are just kind of shitheads on like both sides of the aisle. And it's just this like constant back and forth between, and I, I like both. I am, 
I don't know if I'm in the minority, but I personally think that both Bitcoin and Ethereum can coexist in the long run. And if that makes, you know, for an unpopular, if that makes for something that's unpopular, I mean, who knows? But uh, that's just, that's been my personal opinion for, for a while. And that's kind of why I hold pretty equal sized bags of both. Obviously it would have been better to, to hold Bitcoin instead of Ethereum for, for the past year and a half. But I, I think for the amount of, of shit Ethereum gets, there's a lot of incredible stuff that's being built in the platform. There's some really incredible talent uh, that's building in the ecosystem. And yeah, it's, that's, that's my personal opinion on it. But we'll hop over to, to Litecoin. So before too, like I said, Litecoin is a cryptocurrency that I don't own. Um, I've talked about it before. I think at least in, in my mind, it's something that is the, the, just the, the transactional crypto assets, the cryptocurrencies that compete on transaction speed. It's really, really competitive. That's, that's my personal opinion. So I think that there's a pretty small moat around who can be competitive there. Um, Litecoin, uh, LTC they're having is coming up in about five days. So what does that mean? If you are unfamiliar with, uh, what does that mean? If you're unfamiliar with having basically means the block reward for Litecoin is going to be reduced in half. So right now the mining rewards on a per block basis are 25 Litecoin per block that is moving to 12.5 Litecoins per block on August 5th. So what does that mean and how does that kind of apply to things in the future if you're not familiar? Well, you would anticipate for the most part anybody that mines Litecoin, yes, I'm sure some of them hold on to some of them hold on to that asset, but for the most part anybody who is mining Litecoin traditionally is going to or there's going to be a lot of sell pressure from miners. Miners are going to mine Litecoin or other crypto assets and then they're going to sell those crypto assets either into Bitcoin or into Bitcoin to dollars, whatever it might be. For Litecoin into dollars, there's going to be downward sell pressure because those miners are not just going to sit on Litecoin for all of eternity. So when you reduce the overall, uh, when you reduce the mining reward on a per block basis, what happens is there's less sell pressure. There's 50% less sell pressure from miners in the market. And that is a notable thing when that happens. That is absolutely a notable occurrence, which is why a lot of people talk about Bitcoin's having in the future, because Bitcoin's having is going to be, again, it's a 50, it's a having, it's 50%. The mining rewards drop by 50%. So there is 50% less sell pressure from miners uh, into the open market or into the market just as a whole. And that's something that is a, uh, you know, all else being equal, if the demand stays, it's, like, like our girl, uh, I, <laughs> I forget what the hell her name is on Twitter, but she's, I don't know if she's a spoof or not, or just like a joke, but, uh, like, like she talks about supply and demand. It's, it's pretty simple supply and demand. If, if the demand stays equal, you reduce the supply or the new supply by 50%, that would mean, Hey, this is going to increase in price. We'll see because you don't know what's going to happen with the demand, but that's, it's, it's something worth considering. So Michael Art brings up a good point, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past too. Uh, so Michael says, when Bitcoin gets too expensive, people will switch to a cheaper cheaper alternative. And that is something that we have seen in the past, at least with 2017, where you had the Bitcoin fees going up to, you know, let's say at some point like $30, $50. Let's, let's pull up, I think, Coinmetrics, median Bitcoin. See if we can pull this bad boy up. And we'll at least go to BitInfo charts. 
the Bitcoin fees have actually reduced recently. There was a little bit of a run-up, or there was actually a pretty strong run-up in spring into early summer. Let's see if we can, where do we got in the past six months? So the Bitcoin median transaction fee went from less than, from around 20 cents in early 2019, all the way up to over $3 in mid-June and in May. And now that's back to under a dollar. And I think for the most part, when people look at the transaction fees, like under a dollar, yes, if you're, people will shit on it and be like, oh, I can't buy a cup of coffee with it. That's one thing. Fine, whatever, go for it. But under a dollar, under $5, you're probably fine. Once it starts getting above $5, once it starts getting into double digits above $10, that's when I start, that's when I think you start to see demand for the other assets like Litecoin, like say a Bitcoin cash or a nano or an XRP or whatever people just, especially if it's, I, I think, you know, when you look at a lot of this stuff, it's speculation. That is the, the biggest thing. What do people do when they're speculating on crypto assets? They buy something on an exchange. Maybe they want to move it to another exchange, but Hey, if you want to, let's say you got the Bitcoin fee going above $10 at some point in time in 2019, Bitcoin fee goes above $10. You want to move Bitcoin on an exchange. What do some people do? Hey, I'm not going to pay that $10 fee that the exchange is going to charge me. What am I going to do? I'm going to sell my Bitcoin into XRP or I'm going to sell my Bitcoin into Litecoin. And then I can move that for five cents between exchanges and it'll take me 10 minutes instead of maybe an hour or two. Something that I think drove the price of a lot of these other altcoins in, in late 2017 who knows if we'll actually see a repetition of that, but definitely something to, to think about if you start to see this trend, you know, if you start to see the median transaction uh, chart go up a bit, but it looks like it's pulling back from that high of around $3, $3.50 in uh, earlier this summer. Uh, Jeremy, so what's the state of the Lightning Network right now? So I, I think the Lightning Network is something that's continually being developed, and I don't think... That's so that's kind of one point I would say, like going back to the Bitcoin versus Ethereum battle that people have and get really worked up about. Um, I think like both sides have when they go nuts at each other and it's obnoxious because both people have valid points. But at the same point in time, when you get obnoxious about the way you bring up those points, um, that's when you kind of lose credibility. Like people on the you know, people on the Bitcoin side can say Ethereum basically the only use case was whatever the only use case for ethereum was was token sales and this that and the other thing and crypto kitties crashed the network and this that and you know there's there's no chance of scaling and whatever and then people on the ethereum side well it's like you know where's this lightning network thing like you guys have been preaching this for years where, where where's lightning network how is that you know how is how is nobody necessarily using this like where, where's the development i think both both sides exaggerate the negative aspects or just people exaggerate the negative aspects of some of the issues that they might see. So for me, at least when I look at, uh, you know, when I look at the lightning network, I think these types of things take time and people have to, you know, people have to be patient with this. There are <laughs> the developer incentives around a lot of this stuff. People have to be patient with how things are going to be developed. And you don't, when, when you're transacting with money in these scenarios and you're trying to keep things in a, a quote unquote decentralized or sufficiently decentralized manner, um, I think that people just have to have a degree of patience. And because these things trade on a 24, seven, 365 basis, we're kind of taught not to be patient. 
and Uh, Michael Boudreaux, how much do you make from running that Costa node? Nothing. You know, you don't, you don't really make anything for money. I mean, if you don't really like, I would not run a, I would not run a node. Um, as as far as like trying to make money, I think there have, you know, there have been some blog posts and things around the economics around around running a Lightning node. Uh, but I personally, at least from what I've seen recently and just kind of personal experience, um, I don't think that there is a massive economic incentive to running a lightning node outside of just supporting the network and transacting and um you know just kind of running running your own bitcoin node a lightning node with casa and also just kind of wanting to to support a company that i think is doing cool stuff and and kind of experimenting in the space uh fresh ozzy do you mind btc do i mind bitcoin no i do not um i <laughs> the last time I mined Bitcoin was in 2013. And it was when they had the little USB ASIC miners that were... This was the last time I mined. Let's see. There was a time when these bad boys were profitable. Let's see. And that was awesome. Uh, these things were so sweet. So I... I used to mine, uh, I would mine, I bought one of these like right when they came out and they were actually profitable for a little bit of time and they would have been profitable for a lot longer um, or I could have just kept running them. But they, you know, new technology came out and basically made made these obsolete and made them not profitable or just you didn't get much. But with the price of Bitcoin now, think like when you were making like 0.01 Bitcoin a day back then, it's like, ah, whatever, this is like two bucks. This is nothing. Or this is like, I don't know what it's just not a lot or 20 cents. Who knows? I forget exactly. But now with Bitcoin at $10, I should have just ran those into oblivion. But uh, I had these and I plugged them into <laughs> it was basically like that you would just plug it. I plugged it directly into uh, like uh, my desktop plugged into a laptop and then also would kind of pull one of these where you had the USB fans and I would just point the fan on top of them and just kind of run it because they just got hot as shit. And they would just basically melt anything. So you had to have a fan running on a 24-7. But they were pretty fun to run. It was it was uh, pretty awesome. I enjoyed them. Uh, so Kev Allen asks, how likely do you think is a drop back to three to $4,000? I, I have no idea, but I would say not super likely. It seemed like seemed like three to $4,000 was, was a gift. Uh, of a buying opportunity that we had for quite a while. I mean, that was basically mid uh, mid November to to April, where you could have accumulated Bitcoin, and and a lot of people did, but you could have accumulated Bitcoin. And that's dollar cost averaging, and that's why dollar cost averaging is sweet. Um, but basically, I think that was somewhat of a gift of a time frame and just kind of like peak capitulation for a lot of people. But I feel like the the fundamentals around the market are a lot stronger than they were back then. Granted, fundamentals don't really matter in crypto as much, but um, I, I feel like there's a pretty pretty solid renewed confidence in, in Bitcoin as a whole. Altcoins are a different story, but at least for now, I feel like seeing three to four K feels pretty unlikely to me unless there's some type of black swan event that could occur. So Ricky Thompson says, with all your experience now, even being on the inside of the industry, 
uh adoption rate one two three years out any altcoins you see with promise down the road that pique your attention it's an interesting question um and i think so i mean the trouble i have in a lot of cases now too is at least from like a youtube and content standpoint i feel like i'm a little bit jaded on some of the aspects of the industry and and there are a lot of people i feel like the the, the content that performs really well on youtube are the people that are just overly positive and optimistic and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be wonderful and everything is always going to go to the moon and i just know that's bullshit i know that's not the case and especially for a lot of these other crypto assets it's definitely not the case um i mean what are my what are my thoughts in general i think at a very high level you have like bitcoin you have ethereum and you might have one or two maybe three other platforms out there um probably like bitcoin ethereum and maybe one or two other platforms that will have some success in the industry. I think the exchange tokens are really interesting because they provide you exposure. Like BNB is interesting because it's basically pseudo equity slash somewhat of an exposure, somewhat exposure to a profitable business. Um, it's not perfect by any stretch. It's probably some type of, of security depending upon jurisdiction, kind of why I'm interested in Leo and have a bag of Leo. Um, but I think like the exchange tokens as a whole are interesting because they give you there there are they are profitable businesses they are like the one of the few if not the only profitable businesses in the, in the crypto space a lot of the tokens a lot of the erc20 tokens out there are struggling to find a use case um many of them i think were were created as a means as a mechanism for fundraising if people are being honest the vast majority of erc20 tokens the vast majority of of initial token sales they might be building cool shit they might be creating really great technology. The technology might be awesome, but how does the token fit into that model? Many of them are kind of trying to, to, to figure that out at this point in time now. And that's where the struggle kind of lies. And you're basically, you know, stuck trying to fit a, you know, square peg into a round hole. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's really, it's really hard to, to kind of justify, to justify that. So I think, you know, looking at that, like the utility tokens, it's there there are some that'll perform well for sure but many of them i think are just added friction into an ecosystem that were utilized as a mechanism for fundraising after just getting an opportunity to to participate in the ecosystem for a while kind of my my thoughts on that um are there any that show like like you said are there any that show really interesting uh interesting promise um i think that uh, again i think bitcoin is has kind of regardless of your thoughts um on it i think bitcoin's brand name as a whole and security and, and the hash power that it has and, and a variety of other things uh name recognition across the board i think bitcoin has has staying power i think as much as people want to shit on ethereum i think ethereum's developer ecosystem i think ethereum has staying power um and then you can look again i think at exchange tokens are are interesting and then there's probably going to be one or two other platforms out there that steals that either steals some momentum from ethereum or um straight up beat ethereum as well like tezos is interesting i think eos has kind of fallen off a little bit there's a lot of other platforms out there or uh kind of projects out there that are doing some work on interoperability that might be interesting but yeah i, th I think you just have to like i'm i'm jaded if we're being honest i'm just jaded <laughs> jaded about things i love the industry and that's why i work in it 24 7 that's why i talk about it 24 7 but as far as like the everything's going to go to the moon and every utility token adds value and this that and the other thing 
that's just that's just a load of horseshit. So. So fresh Ozzy says, "Am I still supplying dye on compound?" I am not, but that's one thing that is. So this is. We'll pull this up. I should probably and guys, let me let me know. I'd love your feedback too on this. As far as making a video on, um, making a video on quote unquote DeFi and just the entire ecosystem and the pluses and minuses and how you can make money on DeFi uh, or decentralized finance, whatever. But let me know if you have any interest in that, and I can make a a detailed kind of in- explainer video about it. Uh, because I think there's pluses and minuses that people glaze over, um, both on the good side and on the bad side. Uh, but I can give you a little bit of insight, but please let me know if you're interested in a video on that. And I happily can, can dive into that. But somebody mentioned compound finance. Am I still supplying dye? I am not at the time being just because I'm at this point in time, just hundred percent long ETH with money that I would be supplying dye to. So I'm not, um, I am not long uh, or I'm not supplying dye on on compound. However, the interesting thing about compound right now, actually two interesting things. You make 9% annually by uh, supplying USDC and you make 13% annually by supplying um, by supplying dye. Granted, dye has not always kept its peg like perfectly, but it's been pretty good. And USDC is a dollar backed stablecoin. It's basically been pegged to a dollar pretty, pretty damn close. Um, and then DYDX has been 11% and USDC is close to nine. So when you look at a lot of this stuff, like if you look at, let's say die, Dio, no, it's actually at a dollar one right now. Um, but if you look at, is it a dollar one? No, that's fat BTC. I don't know. It's probably around a dollar when market cap data is trash. Um, but it's it's pretty interesting with this because like what's what's the average uh let's see let's let's find a savings account if you put your money in a savings account right now the best savings account of 20 uh 2019 uh 2.5 2.15% 2.1% basically the best you will get in a savings account is 2% uh, annually with DeFi right now, you can make close to nine to 13% annually. So why wouldn't like right now I have money in the bank. I have money sitting in the bank. Why would I not put whatever hundred thousand dollars, $10,000, whatever it is. Why wouldn't I put hundred thousand dollars that is sitting in savings or in the stock market or whatever in directly into compound finance to just make me 13% a year. Cause 13% a year is pretty damn good. That's like, that's really good. Especially when you're not comparing it to, to the YOLO 300% crypto gains. Well, one of the big things is smart contract risk. It's something that like needs to be spoken about more, talked about more and uh, like looked into a little bit more because you have the concept of, you know, a lot of this is built on, you know, these are built on Ethereum. Some of these are built on Ethereum, like the DeFi products built on Ethereum. So if there is ever a bug in the smart contract, for whatever reason, we have DevOps, our boy DevOps199. What is it? DevOps199? I think it's DevOps199. Um, this happened a while ago, but uh, 
who was a GitHub user that um, accidentally killed the Parity Multisig wallet and literally put out a command. He said he accidentally did, but he basically froze $300 million in crypto assets. And this is something that could realistically happen again. And that's something where, you know, you have your money in a savings account. There's probably some degree of FDIC insurance on that. There is no FDIC insurance on compound finance or on DYDX or on Dharma. So that's like the hesitation, at least on my end, as far as like, hey, I might put in a lot of money into this stuff to earn 8% or 13%. Because if, you know, you're not just looking, like if you earn 7% a year in with compound, you know, with not compound finance, but with compound interest, 7% a year, starting with not a lot of money is you'll retire with with some good money so pretty pretty substantial rates of returns for a lot of these if you're just looking at like what you would do with your regular cash not like trading money but just cash that's sitting on the sidelines that you have in a savings account why would you not do it there the big thing is smart contract risk because somebody might literally be able to one little bug could basically just evaporate your money into thin air and there's no bank, there's no FDIC, there's nobody out there um, that can really help that. Uh, there are some new solutions that are coming around for smart contract insurance. So that is kind of an interesting component. Would love to see how that continues to develop. Um, but that's the big thing I think that really needs to come into the ecosystem is smart contract insurance or really well-established smart contract insurance because what happens if this all blows up? Uh, what happens to your money? It's gone. I accidentally killed it. RIP in peace. That was, uh, will I get arrested for this? And if you guys don't remember this, so there was literally, uh, a, a GitHub user. I accidentally killed it. Anyone can kill your contract. Um, he basically called a, I think he called, he called the kill function and parody did not have, it was parody that had it did not have the, uh, mechanism in place to not allow anybody else to 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 call that function and just some random user killed it and people and ICOs were basically the parity multi sig parity was a uh or is but also was a pretty popular I used the parity wallet for a while um but parity was a wallet that you could use on Ethereum for and and to run a full node with you could also have a multi signature wallet with that and what a multi-sig wallet is, is if you have three people, two out of three people need to, to come together to sign a transaction for something to go. So it's a, it's a secure way to kind of store your crypto assets because somebody holds a gun to your head. doesn't matter. You still need two other people or two to, to confirm a transaction or whatever it might be. Um, so a lot of larger token projects and things like that were storing their money with this parity multi-sig wallet and that person killed it. And that money is still locked up to this day and is still debated about as far as how people might be able to return that funding as well. Uh, Kev Allen, why do you think volume is so tiny compared to the previous bull run? Uh, not suspicious. I personally, I mean, number one, I don't think there's anywhere near the amount of people that are, there's, I still think this is a pretty, pretty heavily retail driven market, at least for altcoins. Um, I don't think you have institutions trading Dragon Chain uh, or uh, or or Neo or whatever. Um, I don't think there's that many in 
institutions doing that. Uh, so, and I put institutions in, in quotations. But I, I still do think this, this is a pretty retail-driven marketplace, and I think that retail is interested in getting getting rich quick. And the get-rich-quick story happened in 2017. A lot of people, some people got rich quick. A lot of people got poor quick. And the people that got poor quick have obviously left the market and are no longer interested in the space because they lost money. Now, the question is, will a new round of people come back to hang out and play around in the shitcoin sand, sand pit? Or will they, is is that round of people never going to come again? Is, you know, have all those people gotten burned in the past and they have no interest in coming back? It remains to be seen. But I, I do think that that is, you know, definitely a large uh, portion of, the attributed volume in the past was was retail getting into the space in in droves and droves. And when when people are recognizing my dumb face in pizzerias and places like that, because they're like, "Yo, dude, you're that guy on you're that guy on YouTube." That's that's when I know it's where we're at like peak saturation, and I should probably sell everything. So next time that happens, I will let you know. Yeah, that's a it's a good point, Kevin. So I'll bring this up. We'll pull up set protocol. Man, Anthony Sassano on Twitter, who's a big ETH bull. This is pretty cool, actually. So token sets, they're starting to do something that is basically, uh, I mean, it's pretty awesome, actually. So what happens? You can basically buy exposure to what they consider to be um, these like weighted moving averages, and they, they implement trading strategies that are in tokenized form. So if you click on this, we'll click on Explore Sets you can buy into these tokens that um, are either weighted. So you can buy a token. It's a, it's an ERC-20 token, um, I believe, if I am if I recall correctly. But you can buy into a token that gives you 50-50 BTC ETH weight. So you have exposure to that. You can buy into something that has 75-25 you know, BTC ETH rate. Um, but what you can also do, and this is kind of cool, is they have what now is like a trend trading set. So this has actually outperformed the market. Um, and I could probably do another video on, I could probably do another video on this, but this is something that uh, I think is worth checking out too. Like if you are in the in the place where, hey, you don't really want to trade, um, but you, you know, you don't really want to trade, but maybe you want to just kind of get a little bit of exposure to something that, that might be a little bit different than just holding spot long. So what does this do? This is a token that tracks the 20 day moving average. And then every time there's a crossover on that 20 day moving average, it will long or short based upon that. So right now, I believe, let's see here. What, what's at it right now? So right now the, this token is 100% in USD. Um, it is out of it's out of it's out of ETH, and it is waiting for the moving average to cross back over the 20-day moving average. Uh, and once that does, it will scale back into Ethereum. And so it rebalances on a so the last time it basically rebalances on a consistent basis um, whenever that happens. So right now, the last time this rebalanced was it was 18 days ago. And it will uh, it will rebalance again if the moving average crosses over two hundred sixteen dollars. But it's it's interesting for a couple different ways. It's it's kind of tokenized. It's basically a tokenized trading strategy, which is pretty cool. But also this is there was some analysis I think the block did where this actually outperformed holding ETH pretty substantially. 
which is interesting. And then Spencer Noon also talked about this a little bit too, where you start to see, so I think they're, I'm not sure how much money right now is in, let's see. I'll see if I pull up Spencer Noon Twitter. So he had a good point about this too. As this pool continues to grow, come on, buddy. Okay, here we go. So right now, uh, so he says this, the set protocol ETH 20-day moving average crossover token is sitting in cash right now, but it will be market buying ETH when the price is $229.35 with only 254. So there's basically people have put in $254,000 into this token in, in total. So there's $254,000 in assets under management with this set token, which is pretty cool. Um, so that's, it's, shows some interesting use case so far. Um, but the interesting part right now is it's sitting completely in cash. So what happens when it does cross that moving average over um, to two? So I actually got it wrong before, but the number is 229000 or $229 per ETH. When it hits that above, then it will be market buying ETH with USD. So right now, you know, buying market buying ETH with $254,000 worth of, of dollars probably not going to move the market substantially. But what happens if this becomes a token that has five or $10 million in assets under management? That becomes interesting on both sides of the spectrum when it market buys or just starts buying Ethereum or on the other end of the house, when it market sells Ethereum, when it crosses underneath the moving average. So both components are pretty interesting, but I do think that this is if you're interested in just the, uh, if you're interested in set protocol in general, it's definitely something cool worth checking out. And I think something I'll also explore from a DeFi standpoint as well. So Ocean Toad says this, and I think this is an interesting point. Mass exodus of US users from finance is likely contributing to alts doing so poorly. I don't know if it has. I, I really, I'm, I'm not 100% positive about that. I don't. So I don't know if, like, I don't know how aggressively Binance has been talking about kicking US users off of Binance. And unless you're pretty well, like, let's say, I don't want to say in the know, but unless you've been paying attention substantially, you might, you might just be a Binance user and have no idea that they're eventually going to be geofencing US users. So I don't, I'm sure that has caused some sell pressure, but people also could have simply just taken the assets that they had on the platform and withdrew them straight to wallets. They don't necessarily have to sell those assets into Bitcoin or into anything else. So something to consider there. The one thing that I'm keeping an eye on when it does come down to Binance is, is BNB in particular. I have, my hunch is that BNB will not be available to US users. That would be my hunch for Binance going into the US. So I'm curious about how that happens or if they make BNB available to U.S. traders. Um, I think there are there's there's a pretty good argument as far as uh, Binance or, or excuse me BNB in particular being considered a security in the United States. So if Binance has a U.S. specific platform for U.S. users, will people be able to use the native Binance currency? Will they be able to use that, or will they be geofenced from BNB? I think that would be a bearish thing. Um, I think you would you know, likely be able to buy BNB per perhaps elsewhere, DEXs, things like that. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out because 
I think it's indicative of it's indicative of, of a number of different things. But like I said, I don't think that U.S. users are going to be. That's my that's my guess. That's my hunch is that U.S. users will not be able to trade BNB, and I think that'll bring into question the necessity to have BNB on the rest of the platform, perhaps, and kind of be a bearish thing. So we'll see how that ends up panning out in the long run. But I'm also curious to see what happens with Binance opening up in the U.S. too, uh, with the number of basically how how they compete against the other U.S. platforms because you have. You have Coinbase adding some additional assets right now. Coinbase is trying to kind of compete with Binance a little bit, I think. And you have other companies like Bittrex and Poloniex that are basically throwing up the white flag in the United States. Bittrex and Poloniex are both delisting assets on a pretty consistent basis. I'm really curious to see what happens with Binance when they launch in the US. Are they going to launch with a ton of assets? Or are they going to be really conservative and be like, you know what, we're participating in the US and we're we're gonna have bitcoin litecoin and like the cryptocurrencies that are like definitely not illegal in the united states so that's something that i'm personally keeping an eye on would always love to hear your thoughts too uh in the comment section as well uh kevin says bnb will always be available through trust wallet dex app on mobile yeah um i mean i i th- like even if so even if bnb is is banned in uh not I shouldn't say banned, but even if BNB trading is restricted for U.S. citizens on Binance U.S. or whatever they're calling it, I don't think it's going to be difficult to obtain BNB as a user. You can go on Binance Dex, you can VPN in. I'm sure it'll be available. It's still an you know you can still get the ERC twenty token version on a number of of exchanges. I'm sure as well. So I don't think it'll be that difficult to to get. But I think it'll just be like a kind of a, a negative negative perception type of, of thing more so than it'll be, I think a massive difficulty. CJ James. Uh, no, not everything is bullish for Bitcoin. Uh, everything is definitely not b- bullish for Bitcoin. I am certainly not one of those guys, but when it does come down to the fed reducing rates, I think that is in, in a lot of respects, pretty clearly bullish from a macro standpoint, when it does come down to, what that points to for just the the U.S. economy and the global economy, and kind of where the where where the the powers that be are are moving things. I would say that is I I've tweeted I've tweeted that before too. Um, you have kind of two columns. Uh, you know, you have is this bullish for Bitcoin? Uh, and it's yes or no. It's I think it's actually uh it's it's a diagram. So. You have two things. It's like, is this bullish for Bitcoin? Um, yes, it's bullish for Bitcoin. If uh, I own Bitcoin, yes, it's bullish for Bitcoin. I don't own Bitcoin. No, it's not bullish for Bitcoin. So those are basically the two kind of things that that you want to take into consideration anytime you look at whether something's bullish or bearish for Bitcoin. Do I own Bitcoin? Yes, it's ba- it's bullish for Bitcoin. Do I not own Bitcoin? Yes, it's bearish for Bitcoin. Uh, is it sunny out right now? Actually, it's it's getting a little bit sunny outside. That's bullish for Bitcoin. Is it sunny outside? I don't own any Bitcoin. That's bearish for Bitcoin. Start shooting electronium. No. <laughs> start shooting your questions over my way. I will. Uh, I'll definitely start to to kind of answer those as well. Uh, Van Nguyen says, "Do you think there is an alt season soon?" That's the bajillion dollar question. Um, 
when all season and every time uh every time somebody asks when all season an angel loses their wings and it, it delays all season by another week so I, I think at that point in time we're we're pretty delayed on the next all season but i i, I really have no idea i i I somewhat think that alt season is predicated on more retail money coming to the space. And I don't think we're there. I also think that alt season could potentially be predicated by Bitcoin really crushing it. I mean, Bitcoin's up three X from early, you know, early 2019 or around three X from early 2019. Uh, but if Bitcoin really, really heats up, where does that money go? If it does heat up to, do people actually move that money back into, you know, into altcoins, pump the price of these illiquid coins, and then cash out onto a greater fool. Who knows? Uh, proper gall, do you think I should ask a question? Go for it, brother. brother. Uh, Randall McMurphy, when Bitcoin season? I think we are thoroughly in the throes of, of Bitcoin season. Um, I mean, if you look at the market cap dominance right now, we're at 65%. It's pretty impressive. I mean, it's not just pretty impressive. It's really impressive. That's, that This is basically the highest we've been in... See if I can... I mean, this is the highest we've been since early 2017 when Ethereum had its its kind of big run. So if we look back from 2017, uh, Ethereum, excuse me, the Bitcoin market cap was at about 85% in January of 2017. We're at 65% right now. The low of Bitcoin market dominance was kind of twofold it was under 40 percent in june of 2017 when eth ran up to when eth almost flipping btc in june of 2017 that was a wild time when you had uh, i think bitcoin was at a few thousand he had eth up at 400 um bitcoin was at a like 30 what was it 37 percent dominance and eth was at 30 percent dominance uh bitcoin actually or bitcoin was actually almost flippant and then you had uh, the same kind of thing happen in, in the crazy alt season of, of 20, uh, 2018, January 2018, where you had ETH went down, or excuse me, Bitcoin went down as low as 33% um, in market dominance. It's back all the way up to 65% uh, and looks pretty strong right now as well. And a lot of the altcoins look like they're fading away. So I would say Bitcoin season is, is firmly in place. And the question that a lot of people have is, is when altcoin season or will we ever see one again? And I, I, I kind of feel like the, the fact that people are asking, will we ever see one again? Um, I think we probably will. Do I think it will be to the mania that we saw in 2017? No, but I still think that there, there, there are always going to be opportunities for something to outperform Bitcoin. That's something that I think a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people discount, but there's, there's always going to be a few assets that outperform Bitcoin over a given time frame. It's what matters in the long run and like collectively when you look at it. Like in the past year and a half, altcoins have vastly, vastly underperformed Bitcoin, whether it's Ethereum, XRP, Bitcoin Cash. Almost everything has underperformed Bitcoin outside of Binance Coin, BNB, and Chainlink. Like, BNB and Link were like basically the only assets that that outperformed uh, Bitcoin to any severe, substantial degree whatsoever. Basically, everything else has underperformed. So if you were all in on BNB or all in on Link, yeah, you're you're happy and you believe in altcoins, but everybody else is probably pretty pissed off that they wasted any money on it. So.
<laughs> so we got Freeman Young saying there will not be another alt season. Uh, and after that, Samir says alts are going to zero. And then after that, the Rydells says alts are just a pump and dump after the pull market's over. So I think pr people are pretty bearish, I think, collectively on altcoins. Um, I do think a lot of that, and then we see alts are dead as well. So I do think a lot of people have either learned the hard way or have just gotten rocked on alts and have declared altcoins dead. And again, to that point, I think that many of the altcoin cryptocurrencies out there were utilized as a fundraising mechanism and don't have a clear use case at all. Uh, and are building, some of them are building fantastic tech that's trying to do great things to, to positively improve the world, but maybe just haven't found the real use case that they need. So um, that really, I think, is, is the big question. And I don't have the answer to it, um, but <laughs> who knows? All in on BTC only. I mean, so Samir says all in on BTC only. I think that that's, if you like stress-free, that is a, a great move, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I think BTC has found a very clear spot in the market. I think a lot of uh, larger investors are excited about the long-term potential of a Bitcoin. And I do think Bitcoin is, is really starting to, to pick up the narrative as a store value digital gold 2.0 and hedge against the kind of fuckery that the rest of the world has going on. So I do think that, you know, being all in on Bitcoin is kind of the easiest way to set it and forget it and not worry about any of the rest of kind of the, the ongoings of, of the market. Um, and again, too, you just have to be comfortable with the fact that if you're all in on Bitcoin, you have to be comfortable with the fact that, again, there is probably always going to be one or two crypto assets that outperform Bitcoin in certain time periods. And when those do, you're going to hear it from the people that own those crypto assets. You're going to hear it from the Link Army or the, excuse me, the Link Marines or in the past, the XRP Army or the Ethereum crew or whatever it might be. You just have to be comfortable that you're going to hear that and not worry too much about it. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I think it's a pretty stress-free way to, to go about life. I also don't think exposure to ETH is necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, I think ETH is has not done necessarily anywhere near as well as, as Bitcoin, but long-term, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the, the possibilities there for sure. Guys, outside of that though, I, uh, I'm going to start cooking dinner at this point in time. Your boy's making chicken quesadillas this evening. Hello fresh. Again, one quick thing on my end. So I'll pull this up here too. If you missed it before, like I said, um, we got, have some opportunities right now in New York City for technical talent as well as Boston. So if you happen to be watching this and you are a software engineer, um, have opportunities for full stack engineers, senior front end engineers, infrastructure engineers for a variety of really awesome companies in the crypto and blockchain space. Um, so if you are either number one interested or a software engineer interested in, in maybe working full-time in the crypto world, I would love to speak with you. Go to proofoftalent.com or .co slash careers and reach out. You can submit your resume there. Or alternatively, if you happen to have any friends that are interested in working full-time in crypto, um, I pay a $1,000 $1, referral bonus in BTC, ETH, or USD, whatever your little heart so chooses if I'm able to place that person. So... Really, 
pretty fun stuff. I'm excited about it. I hope uh, hope you guys, if you have some interest in, in working in the space, would love to hear from you through proofoftalent.co slash careers. Uh, and any questions about it, always let me know too. Um, happy to, to provide some additional insight on that. But at this point in time, going to go start cooking myself some dinner, uh, maybe enjoy a beer. Who knows? We'll see. Crypto Bobby signing out. Hope you have a good one. Peace.